Oh, welcome back to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. Today, we are joined by Chris Wright, who is the owner of thesaber.com. Hello. <laughs> hey, how are you? It's still weird to me to hear owner. Sorry. Do you prefer a different title or... Governor? No. Go NBA. I, I don't prefer a title at all. It's just, I, even on my email sign-offs, I'm not putting owner all the time, depending on what it is, <laughs> just because it's, it's such a change. I'm like, oh, yeah. So we, uh, before we get, the, well, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about UVA sports today, but before we even get into that, just you have, in the last few weeks, taken over the direction of the Saber, and you are getting ready to celebrate the 25th anniversary, 25 years of the Saber, so that's exciting. Do you have any thoughts on how you're going to any anything you want to tease here right so it's 25 years of officially being the saber.com so that in 1998 is when it became an official business the guy that founded the site the guy his name's mike ingles he's board host on the boards um grew up here his dad worked in facilities at uva um he played football at the local high schools <laughs> so he, he's just a guy that loved football back then um and tiki barber was really good so he created a Tiki Barber for Heisman splash page. Um, and then some fans were like, hey, can you da-da-da-da-da? Can you da-da-da-da-da, right? And so he adds the schedule. He has a little write-up about what Tiki did. Two years later, it's a business. 25 years later, it's still a business, which is kind of a cool story. If you think about it, it is a local homegrown thing um, just to support UVA athletics. In terms of celebrating the 25th year, the, the biggest thing we're planning is each month, I want to do the top 25 of the Saber era, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. So the top 25 men's basketball players of the Saber era, 98 through 2023. Top 25 football players, et cetera. So we're going to try to do that monthly. But the way we want to do it, so if you're listening to this, you, you need to get on the, the boards when I introduce this in January, right? We need nominees for who should be on the list, and then we'll let fans pick it. I'm not picking it. We'll, we'll let the fans pick it, and then I'll write about it. So that's the kind of main thing is go month to month. We may even do like in the, the summer when there's less sports going on, maybe the top 25 message board acronyms because <laughs> there's so many things that <laughs> pop up uh, on the message boards. And one of the more popular ones is from all the way back at the beginning. What's his name? WHN. When uh, the lovely Ronald Curry um, decided to flip his commitment and go play at that school that you both love so much. Uh, I believe that would be Carolina, <laughs> who has My come favorite. up a couple times in our podcast. <laughs> Recently, just kind of become an ABC podcast, but that's right. Yeah. So it, I, I think it's also interesting and exciting that you're starting to delve into kind of the world of NIL and working with the team and the players directly to have kind of a more community approach to the website. I think that's really cool. Is there anything that you're looking to do, hoping to do anything that the fans on the website or the message boards can do to support that? Right. So we're, we've partnered with Hook Sports Marketing, which is several UVA alums tied into that and own that or, or run that space. So we teamed up with them and we're going to try to help their athletes either promote things they're doing or help them create things. So the one that we helped promote recently is uh, Sam Brunel, local you know, kid. We, we, you know, we game planned for her um, as high school <laughs> coaches. So happy to promote her work um, beyond the ARC show that she joined. So she interviewed Kihei. Clark. So we're going to help promote things like that when the athletes have things like that going. But then we also want to create content around them. So we're going to have exclusive Zooms with some of the men's basketball players in the in the coming weeks 
where if you're a member of Hook Sports Marketing's 4819 Club, and I encourage people to go sign up for that um, because it's not just stuff tied to us that they do with that, but we're going to help produce stuff within that. Or you're a um, subscriber or friend of the Sabre in some way, um, you could get an invite to one of those Zooms. So we'll kind of randomly shoot out invites to people that support those. Exclusive Zoom. So you can jump in the chat window and go, hey, player B, what, why did you choose Virginia? Or whatever your question might be. So within the context, just adding additional context, we all coach together uh, at the high school level in the area. So I frequently will see you you know, before practice, after practice, checking in on things that pop up on the message board, trying to be as engaging as possible with anybody that posts. And we'll pepper in some uh, fan questions that we have populating here. What's the hardest thing about managing a message board of fans that are <laughs> highly devoted to the UVA community? There's anything particularly hard about it other than the, the, the joke I always say is fans gonna fan. Of course, fans get all over that roller coaster, <laughs> super high, super low. The opposite of what coaches do, right? Like, never get too high, never get too low. That's not the fan mantra. Get as high as you can and wallow in it if you need to, right? So under, understand <laughs> <resident> that. Wallower <laughs> yeah. Understanding that spectrum, it's not necessarily hard, but sometimes people forget that there is a person on the other side of that name that you're you know, complaining at or you know, maybe you've had too much of your favorite beverage after a game and then you vent in a way that's not appropriate, right? Those are the hard ones to kind of delete or deal with. But by and large, it's not that hard. I mean, fans fans are good. Fans are what make the website run. It's what makes the programs run. It's why there's multi-million dollar TV contracts. Like, I don't find it all that difficult other than maybe a reminder here or there. Like, hey, um, you know, stop talking so rudely to each other. You're both Virginia fans. <laughs> and do you think that, like, moderating that helps? Because I just have noticed in our personal interactions, you're a very even keel fan like you don't you don't you don't fan you don't like do the <laughs> up and down at least not visibly is it do you think it's because you're seeing all of that that it helps you kind of keep yourself in check i actually don't like so people who have known me for a very long time know that when i was a student at uva i was often on the front row of university hall with a marker board and i would change the messages on the marker board throughout the game so we would clown opponents and things sure, like that sure. we had an eye chart it was a two-sided marker board so on the back it had an eye chart so anytime the referees would mess up we just flip it love it right and said hey right yeah so i wouldn't say i don't fan but i am very even keel now and i think a lot of that's more about life experiences that i've had as sure. much as 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 anything this is the entertainment part of my life i don't want to be miserable around that's it fair. i do go the other way a lot though the euphoric yeah. side i just don't yeah, I move I, on a lot quicker. I just know we've talked about, like, for example, the. I'm so sorry, but the UMBC. Right. Yeah, I was getting ready to bring that up. And mm. I know how. Like, I, I just feel like I know how McGraw. I, but I know, I know how he was, like, just from hearing about it. But I was there. I know how he was. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I was with Chris that weekend. But I feel like you didn't. From my from my understanding of the story, you didn't wallow like that. But I guess no. I have like. Then, then that compared to then the championship the next year, I'm sure that there was a different. You, I've, you are willing to go to that high high. So, we don't talk about that game, but yeah, I, will, I do. But no, no, I, no I, I would say that in Charlotte the next day, if you could pick any movie, I know you're a movie guy, mm -hmm. where the lead character is like catatonic, and they're like in a in a in a trance. Yeah, yeah, uh, 
How Mike, could you not be? Michael had a little bit. Like, I, I wasn't like that. You were. Yeah, yeah. I'd like, so I saw you. I saw you after the game, and you were kind of like, well, that was an interesting thing that happened. And I was like, what? No, <laughs> that's not. That's not the approach to have. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone. You so know? The, great is the, the, the thing that's great about this that I love, that you guys both know, but our audience may not, is that uh, we didn't know each other at the time. I lived in Charlotte. I was at the game because my then-girlfriend, now-wife, was in town, and we were just like, this will be fun. Let's just go to some tournament games. UVA's playing. We really went to watch the Kansas State-Creighton game. I was like, it'll be a great 8-9 game. It was fun. And then we were like, we'll watch some of UVA... And uh, it just, it was an interesting thing that happened as someone who didn't care, right? Um, well, what I said to him was, I, I've been in the building for a lot of these NCAA tournament games, and the Coastal Carolina game where Virginia was in a little bit of trouble didn't feel the same way either, though. That game never felt like Virginia was going to lose. Yeah. There was a point in the UMBC game where the building, uh, you could tangibly feel the mood change. Sure. So it was very interesting to watch as a basketball fan the building gradually grow to where everyone was rooting against the favorite. And it was like, whoa, this is crazy. And that's that's why I And it stunk, but it was crazy. Sure. <laughs> that's why I love the NCAA tournament, right? It's like those underdog things, there is there is an, uh, an inflection point in the game where it seems upset as possible. And then everybody, if you don't have a rooting interest in the favorite, everybody... Like, I, was, I was pulling for UMBC, I'm sorry, but... But I definitely was not catatonic. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Like I. Oh, was, you fan. You you definitely do the down the, the negative down part of fanning, fanning. I don't see you ever get euphoric. See, I think the what since winning the championship, backing that up, like I would that was like as low as I've ever been in a sports moment. I think right. Mm-hmm. So then they won the championship. It's allowed me to be more free on the back end of it now. So like I can still be disappointed or frustrated if they don't play well. But they just having the championship, having seen my school do it, I have this ability now, after the fact, to be like, okay, I have some perspective in both ends of the spectrum. I have like, heard you multiple times just be like, ah, whatever, we have a championship. Right. I mean, <laughs> just call me back when you have two. But okay. as a uh, as a college basketball fan, yeah, it was kind of a cool game to be at. I know I'm not supposed no, to say I, that as a Virginia fan. I mean, you know, but I as a college basketball, if you fan. pull out, if you pull out a magnifying glass and aim it at an ant and it catches on fire, that's probably <laughs> objectively cool to witness too. But I don't okay, but want. I, but to I'm not see a fan that. of ant burning. Right, right. <laughs> I'm a fan of college basketball. Right? Yeah. It, it, so, so the the difference with the next year. I was at the game where Taco Fall and and mm-hmm. they almost upset Duke. Yeah. The building was very similar in that game, even yeah. though it was not as drastic of it. And then Minneapolis was like in terms of euphoria. Yeah. Like as a college basketball fan, as someone who grew up watching it, who's just obsessed with basketball in general, to stand on the court while one shiny moment was playing. Yeah. I mean That's unreal. That's euphoric. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I was I was euphoric in, in that moment. Yeah. Even though I was working. Sure. <laughs> I was working really hard. But I, I feel like it would be <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would be hard not to feel that euphoria no matter who the team is. Like if you're there for that. Yeah, but then it's your team. But then it, then there's that extra, that's what I'm saying, is like it's already an incredible experience and then it's your team. So like that's what I was thinking about, like pulling for an underdog in a tournament situation. I was gonna say, like, well, what if that one seed was Carolina? Or Duke, or somebody that you hate, but then it's like even more fun. Like you're like already pulling for the underdog. I didn't care about UVA that day. So like if it had been a team I didn't like, being there as a relatively neutral fan, I would have loved it even more. I, the the as much as I joke about the fact that my preferred college team has two championships, they were both before my lifetime. So 
I would love to see it. Like, I feel like that would be, to be there. So, so fun fact, uh, I was also at the Mercer upset of Duke. I was in the building for oh, that see, game, that too. that would be fun. And there is a difference to Duke and Carolina getting upset yeah. that even as historic as the Virginia upset was. It just feels like the universe has won. Well, people got over, like, <laughs> it felt like people got over the UMBC thing quicker there, like in the atmosphere. Gotcha. That Duke-Mercer thing didn't wear off for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, because like, that's just not supposed to happen to Duke, right? Right, like, right. That's, that's the thing. But Hey, we got sidetracked. No, I think this is good. So I, I like talking about the elements of UVA basketball that are positive. Uh, so that was that's a good transition to talk about UVA, who may be number one in the polls, conceivably, now that Houston has lost. Favorite thing on the message board this weekend is those who want to be ranked number one and those who don't. <laughs> we were just having this conversation last <laughs> night, yeah. See, I think that I... Who cares? It's December. Give us the one. It's great. Whatever. Right. Yeah, I think that that is part of a UVA fan thing, too. It's not exclusive to UVA fans, but just... I've mentioned the Reese Beekman thing a couple of weeks ago where it's like, he's doing so great, we're excited, but oh man, he might go to the NBA draft. That's <laughs> bad. So now it's the same thing with like, oh, do we want to be number one? Because that would mean people are hunting us. Like, wouldn't it be cool to have a number one team? That means your team is good. That's should be universally positive, but it's not. Everyone doesn't. Some people are like, no, no, no. So here's my thing. Virginia's hunted already. Virginia's been hunted for the better part of the last seven to ten years. Having a one beside your name slightly changes that, but not really. Interesting. I, I don't know that, as a non-UVA fan, that I perceive Virginia as a team to hunt. Like, like I don't... The maybe, number, maybe that explains why all those middling ACC teams other than NC State get whipped all the time. Sure. Right. <laughs> the, 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 number one, the number one to me would motivate me more. Like, I, I don't just... If UVA is... There as like a, I mean, I guess if they're top ten anyway, like, yeah, maybe it doesn't make that big a difference. It's just an interesting thing of like, I, I struggle with this a lot with UVA, where I recognize that obviously they've been like the class of the conference for the last decade or so, or, or up there with some other teams. But we just, I, I never look at it as like that's not a game that I get particularly up for as a state fan. Hey, the, this is Virginia's secret weapon. No, for sure. Virginia's secret weapon. Eh, I don't want to get up for Virginia. Duke's next week. Good. Y'all keep doing that. No, I think that's we, actually great. We yeah. want to keep dropping those 16 and fours. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see you in March. Yeah. I, no, I think it's brilliant. And, and I mean, I don't know. It is. I think it is part of it. Because it's not going to be, you know, from the fan end of things, you're not generally not seeing the, like, five-star one-and-done come in with UVA. So it's like, so, you, you so don't have that question. level of excitement either. Here's my question. What would it take to change that? Right? Like, Carolina has 50-some-odd years of being hated. Yeah. Like, coach after coach after coach. Coach K is really who made Duke hated. Sure. Before that, they were disliked, I think, among the ACC. Sure. And and maybe older fans on the message board will correct me. But Well, they were kind of a plucky upstart in the 90s, right? Like, they were kind of like the... Oh, the early 90s, the Duke was the team everybody liked. Right. Up until Leitner stepped on somebody, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that was the turning point or not. So I think it's tough because UVA is generally likable so tony bennett's likable they don't they haven't really had a ton of players that i know i picked on man bun eric kyle guy the other day but they haven't had a ton of players that generate that kind of reaction but it also is like honestly i guess from my perspective it's waiting to see like yes they've been successful on the conference level for the last 10 years or so but you know like they're not a given to always be in the conversation come Final Four time still. So Final Four is the I think it has the tipping to be a, point a, versus a leading. Because that's, that's the Carolina Duke thing is like 
God, another Final Four where they're going to show up. And it's like, you look at, when the bracket comes out, I look at Carolina and Duke and their path, and I'm like, how can we stop this from happening? Right. UVA, I'm like, ooh, they're going to have to fight to get through. Like, even the season after the championship, or, no, yeah, the, the championship season was the Gardner-Webb game, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, even that looked like, it, it, you know, at a time that that looked dangerous. You so mean I, the one where it was the, very dangerous. You yeah. mean the one where the committee says they don't put uh, favored pod seeds near that one? The one right, that Boiling right. Springs, North Carolina, was like an hour drive. That yeah. one, yeah, that one. That's <laughs> the one. Um, but I think it's just yeah, it, it's it's kind of and I think we've talked about this stylistically as a again as someone in coaching. I I do appreciate Virginia basketball and but it never lo- it rarely looks dominant. So I think that's part of it, too. So I th- this is one of the things I want to talk about with you. So watching the Baylor and Illinois games, it really looked like championship basketball, right? Like it, whatever you want to say about UVA in the past, it was efficient offensively. They got timely stops when they needed to shut uh, Illinois down at the end of that game. And then you have kind of the other end of the spectrum with wins against JMU and Florida State, but it just didn't look clean and struggled at times offensively. And I think some of that is Reese Beekman being healthy, right? Like he's the best player on the team and wasn't healthy, wasn't available for JMU. But, Probably didn't help. Right. So, you know, what is, what do you, I, I still don't know what to make of this UVA team. How, how excited should people be? How realistic is it that they are a contender? So I'm an in-the-moment guy, meaning marches a long ways away. So if... Any player on any team is injured. See Justin Anderson's pinky. It could change that calculus. So I don't like borrowing trouble for March. But they have all the pieces, recent shooting worries excluded, that they could make a run. Right? Mm -hmm. They have lineup flexibility. They have size if they need it. They can go small if they need it. They seem to have multiple... Uh, offense creators, so assist creators. They have multiple guys that can make other guys on the floor get a good shot. I know there's the question that fans have of who's the go-to guy, but Virginia's never really had that, other than maybe I guess you could argue DeAndre Hunter, but Ty Jerome took an awful lot of important shots on that team too. Kyle Guy took an awful lot of important shots on that team too. Diakite a couple times. Diakite, right? So I don't know that that one worries me as much, but I do understand why that's a question. Do they have a go-to guy when it comes to a Sweet 16 game with whatever? In terms of the malaise of the, the the JMU or the feel of the JMU Florida State games, that's just kind of college basketball to me. Every team does that, where mm-hmm. they look like crap, right? right? And honestly, you're in the six games that it takes to win the thing, you're going to have one. Yeah, one of the six is going to be one of those. Can like that, that Oregon game was a rock fight, you know, in and that tournament. Mm-hmm. That game was like miserable for both teams. So watching that game from like row three, I think it was in Louisville, they like. Both teams were miserable. They couldn't get the shots they wanted to get. It was physical. Yeah, you know, you have Diakite and whoever that guy was, like mm-hmm. doing the fake headbutt thing. But like, and then on top of that, it was the nine or ten o'clock p.m. tip-off. So everyone was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like we're gonna have to if we win this game, we have to turn around and play in like thirty hours. Yeah, right. So that game was just miserable for both teams. But you're gonna have one of those in the six, and every almost every tournament champion, if you go back and look, they have one. That just wasn't championship caliber basketball, but you have to win that game. And I, and I think... So I think it's good for them in terms of future. Like, you have mm-hmm. to learn how to win those games. Right. You don't want to get in the tournament and not have one yet, right. Gonzaga. This, no, for sure. For <laughs> sure. 
this this UVA team, and well, I, and I think just the Tony Bennett teams seem relatively well equipped for those ugly rock fight games because you're you you are used to kind of like a low scoring. Like when the offense isn't clicking, that seems to kind of fit because. It's sort of like a uh, you're gonna hold the other team fairly low, so you don't have to have as much offense to win. It doesn't have to be perfect, and and I, I yeah, I, and we've talked a lot about this team, and I think you've got the right blend of kind of uh, new faces, but also there's a, lot, a ton of experience uh, on that team, especially uh, the most important position in basketball. Um, and we've, I mean, that's this team goes as Kihei goes. I think would that I, be fair to say? I mean, he, he is the leader of the team in a lot of ways. Certainly emotionally, I think that's true. Because he tends to be a little more fiery than Reese does. Mm-hmm. Reese makes kind of stirs the drink in terms of tone like tone of the game. Like yeah. what the offense feels like, what the defense feels like, I think more than Kihei does. Mm-hmm. But the emotional ther- thermometer of the team, I think, revolves around Kihei a lot. The ceiling, I agree with fans on. This comes up on the message board a lot. McNeely, Dunn, and or someone else needs to be... Uh, continuing to progress because in March you're going to need a little more depth. You can't win with six, I don't think. You're going to need seven and eight to be pretty good. And that's Carolina's problem too. They mm-hmm. don't have. I think they've got four. <laughs> like right. so. So yeah. No, I agree that, that those, those young kids, especially their defense, is I is dramatically improved from last year. I think, but is it good enough? It it doesn't look as if they have the classic you know, elite top five defense of unit on the floor with this team. Like, they've they've done a good job getting stops, but I've also, it just doesn't look quite as vintage defensively. Yeah, this doesn't feel like a all-time Virginia defensive team, meaning when we look back at this in 15 years, we would rank this one in the top five eventually or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that goes back to your point about the Las Vegas games. This feels like a timely stops team, and if they can, what is Coach Bennett's language, if, if, if we can touch that level, right, like when we need to, then I, I think that's kind of the, the mindset that fans and maybe the team, maybe not the team, the team should never adopt that mindset, but fans should probably adopt that mindset that, hey, this is a timely stops team if they can lock down with six minutes to go. And, and honestly, last year's team missed the tournament because they couldn't get timely stops. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the offense. I know everybody thinks, at least not to me. It wasn't three-point shooting to me. It was you can't get a stop when you need one. So therefore, you don't win enough games. Yeah. That that was last year's team to me. This year's team feels like one that can get the stops when they need them. And they did that against JMU in the most recent game as kind of proof of that, right? Needed a late stop. Ryan Dunn got it. He got the stop he needed after he gave up the layup, the one before that, of course. But he, he got the one he needed. Do you th- Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, just I happened to look at Ken Palm ratings to see. And, and yeah, I mean, Virginia's offensive ratings are generally higher than their defensive right now. Um and also, I'm also just kind of taking that time to look at Houston as well and thinking ahead of that that game that's going to be in the 40s or something. I'm excited about that game, but I also could see college basketball shying away from... Like, that could be the ultimate rock fight. Oh, yeah. That game's going to be ugly. No, it's going to be beautiful. First, It's going to be first, beautiful. First to 35. Did you not listen to Coach Bennett's post-game against JMU? He was like, oh, this is the kind of game that's beautiful. <laughs> like he, he is sitting at home, but isn't it planning kind of... with his hot chocolate in the holiday season, going, ah, <laughs> oh, game it, in the 40s. Which, like, I'll, I'll take it. Like, I, I, I don't personally hate that, but it'll be ugly in the sense of, like, 
no, neither team, I feel like in that game offensively, is going to be able to do what they want to do. Now, the coach people like that, right? That's because then you're looking at, from the perspective of like, that just means it's well-executed defense. But fans generally see that and are like, oh, we're struggling to score. That's ugly. You know, Marcus Sasser is like this great guard who is probably going to struggle against UVA. and Played well against UVA in the meeting last year, didn't he? That's true. Yeah, they looked pretty good last year. But I, this but is I, a very different. I, no, it is. I'm just saying he looked like, pretty good against yeah, the Yeah. So I'm just curious to kind of see that as some kind of. I just I, I just happened to like I peeked at the ratings and odds know. that it becomes uh, similar to the Texas Tech game from mm-hmm. the from the. You mean just explosion of offense? Well, just a lot better offense than anybody's anticipating. I what, think I could what, see what that. What percentage would you put on that though? Like. Five percent, uh, less than five percent. Oh, I put a fifteen percent, fifteen twenty percent. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. I, I think because I think there's a chance, right? I think that there, there's no doubt there are offensively gifted players on both sides. It's just what does it, what does it look like in terms of, and having played last year, like there's kind of some, there's prep there that you know, you know, kind of how to scheme into that, and, and I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see. So the, the question there to me, Virginia's free throw rate is way up this year. Yeah. How does that play into a team like Houston who, and I don't know what their Ken Palm opponent free throw rate is, <laughs> right? But I always envision Houston when I think of them as a team that's very physical. So if you get a game that's whistled in a way that either team gets more free throw attempts, how does that influence the, that's the part I'm curious about the most because both yeah. of these teams like to be physical and we all know that NC State fans and, and other fans. Virginia just grabs people, right? <laughs> oh, is that something you guys think? I've never really had to complain about it because we beat you pretty... Okay. No, sure. but but sure. like NC State fan base, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, even when you win, like, I, sure. I've seen those. Like, well, the, well, I've seen it on our message board, the, our fans going, <laughs> look at yeah. those fans. The thing I've heard most from like our fans and just other ACC fans, especially... it. it You'll see a lot of them calling for fouls on kind of the like hard hedge on ball screen. Like um, I, I feel like especially back in like the like Jay Huff, they used to always be like, oh, every time he comes, at, he's hip checking on the hard hedge out on a ball screen. And like, I, I mean, I think that there was some of that that UVA bigs were getting away with for a few years, but I also just don't think that it's legal guarding position. Yeah, but legal guarding position. Most you, of the time, yes. If your but guard runs into the big who has legal guarding position, it is not a foul. No, but and I agree, but I think that there is something there we were we were talking about this last night like officials do have biases. And I think sometimes when there's a team that is known as being an elite defensive team and Tony Bennett just coaches defense so well, that then there's kind of a like, well, surely they're not fouling because they're just really good defensively. You get and, a, you do probably get a few of those. And you can't tell me that never like I mean benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying it's all the time. Right, right. No, you're right. But yeah. It's also the the Big Ten leftovers from Tony's dad. Mm. Right. The, those Big Ten fan bases hated those Wisconsin teams. Yeah. And so this Virginia team is automatically associated through family name with that. So I do think that's some of it too. Like there's this perception because of the nature of sagging man to man. Yeah. Although this team's not sagging as much as previous ones, that there's just not a lot of space. And so sometimes guys drive into places they shouldn't be driving into and it can look like a foul and it's just not. It's like, yeah. I mean, I, I, where are you going, man? There's nothing there. (laughs) Yeah. I don't complain about it as much as I feel like I do see other people, but that's also 
fans gonna fan, right? Right, like, fans gonna fan. <laughs> you got you so, gotta complain about something. Sweet, delicious NC State tears. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> or whoever. Insert name. Yeah. Clemson well, tears. This is why I think it's always been so easy for us to get along and talk about college basketball because while UVA's clearly been the more successful program, there is something about it that state seems to have kind of had their number in the last few years. And so it's like we can all be happy. You're gonna lose sure. a you're gonna lose a meaningless game <laughs> in January in Raleigh in January and then move on and we'll be watching the tournament while you make a sweet sixteen run or something. Or, be- or better, I don't know. I, I genuinely hope. I like this UVA team a lot, more than I've liked them in the past. I, I'm a huge Reese Beekman fan. Future, yeah, what's not to future like? Future Charlotte Hornet, Reese Beekman. <laughs> what, what's not to like? About yeah, no, exactly. And, and what's not to like about most of this team, right? There's not a person that's like, ooh, I don't like. I would guy. like to see Reese do that lane drive he does like once every three games and just throws out on somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if he went John ja Morant more often... That, yeah. that would be my only thing. But not, and not because it's good or bad, just because it's so much fun to watch. <laughs> and I think I may have said this in, a, in like the last episode or something, but I could see him doing the Tequavion Smith thing and like getting some good feedback from the NBA, but deciding he wants to come, depending on how the season goes, right, the rest of the year. But I could, I'm wondering, it'd be interesting to see him come back and decide he needs to be more explosive, dominant, whatever. Um, to try to like raise his profile even more. Because at this point, I think he is on track to be a first-round draft pick, but could he be a lottery top-10 guy if he comes back? Or even the later part of this season shows the ability to do something like that more and, and kind of be that more explosive, dominant athlete. But we'll see. Yeah, his shooting has come so far from where it was. Like He was a disaster, but he actually... It, it looks so much better. I, I don't have the stats up in front of me, but his shooting just in general... Looks more confident, better form, and his numbers have dramatically improved scoring-wise. I think it was his last 15 shots, give or take, last year was right around 50% from three. And that seems to have carried over for most of this year. Although the, the couple of recent games, he's missed a couple of open ones that he had been making. And you're not going to make all of them anyway, but it just looks better. Mm-hmm. Before, it seemed to have a little hitch in it or something. You know, the, I know that there's a lot of, with Armand Franklin in particular... There's a lot of focus on having a one-motion shot, making sure it's not a bring-it-up-set shoot, making sure it's all flow, a flowing shot. And I think there's been a little bit of progress with Reese in that regard. There, It seems to be a smoother motion all the way through the shot. Well, I think the thing about him that's exciting is <laughs> I, I did pull up the stats just to look, and, and it's the trajectory, right? So, like, first year, he was under 25% from three. He's currently shooting 47% from three which is unsustainable probably, but that's on over two attempts a game too. It's like he's, he is making a three a game. He's also taking good threes. Yeah, right. It's easier to make good threes than bad threes. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, that that is, but like free throw percentage is up significantly as well. So like there's clearly something there that there's been tweaks and he's more efficient. Now that's eight games into the season, but for him. I do want to move on to talk about the women's team a little bit because they have also had a great start to the season. We have a question from one of our mutual friends and fan of the show, Vana, who wants to know uh, what more does UVA women's team have to do to be a ranked top 25 team since they are one of the few undefeated teams left in women's basketball. So men or women, I don't buy a lot into rankings in part because of who's doing the voting 
So I think there's this giant perception out there that the people that do the voting actually watch as much basketball as fans do. Mm. And I've got news for you. They don't <laughs> because most of them are beat writers for specific teams. There are some exceptions to that, right? Associated press that covers a lot of teams. But a lot of people that vote on these things are locked in on one team or the teams they play. Yeah. So they do a whole lot of, you know, copying. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. This team beat this team. This team beat that team. And right now, Virginia women haven't beaten anyone on their list who you might look at and go, oh, well, they also beat or they beat top 10 or they played number one South Carolina really closely. They don't have any like sports transitive property uh, stock value, right? So they're going to need a win that's notable that someone who's voting when they're scrolling scores don't just scroll right past you. Mm-hmm. So you're going to scroll right past Virginia American, even though that was a decent road win for them. If, if you're a voter that didn't watch that game and you're evaluating teams on the bottom half of the voting, right? Teams 20 through 40. You need a score that catches your eye. Virginia doesn't have one of those in terms of the opponent on the other side. They have some eye-catching scores. I just don't think they've beaten anybody that would catch a voter's eye. They're going to need one. Like Duke's coming up soon. I think that would be one that would catch. You know, North Carolina's good. That would be one that would catch. I was going to say, you've got Duke December 21st, and then in January you have a three-game run of at Virginia Tech, at NC State, and then Carolina. So those are three top ten teams in a row. That's when you'll find out. Right. And, and their schedule is tricky. They do have some road games early in conference play that actually could make it look like they're backsliding. But I'm curious to see how they, in terms of record, because you kind of have to assume top ten games on the road are not super winnable, no matter who you are. This team does have a grit to it, though. And I think that maybe is what's most pleasing to women's basketball fans at Virginia is there's a lot more je ne sais quoi, right, about this team versus last year's team. And that obviously when you compare those side by side, the difference is like stark. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my goodness, like how different. And obviously the record shows that, but just the, the, the eye test, more joy, more grit. Well, and I think, yeah, it, to me it feels very much like a – this is like a setup year, right? Like, I don't look at this team, and I haven't watched a ton of them, but just from kind of seeing their results and and monitoring them, and I'll see them more kind of as they get into ACC play, it's obviously better than it has been, right? right. I mean, you just, like, look at the last couple of years and then look at where they are now, and then you've got a, you know, pretty impactful duo of recruits coming in next year with, you know, a, a five-star and a four-star and we talked about that being just kind of fortuitous that you had two elite recruits in your local area who then you're able to bring in, and, and then you're also building positive momentum this season. It's exciting. Yeah, I my response to Vana was like, they have to beat a real team, but, you know. Is Minnesota not a real team? Is, Fine. Is Penn not for, State a not real team? Not for that person scrolling, looking. And not for getting into the top 20. Like, they're not. Right. That, you know, like, people beat Power 5 teams all the time. You don't get ranked just for doing that. So, like, Duke will be... If, if they're able to go into Duke and beat them, then I think, you know, it's worth talking about it. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at the the top 20... The AP rankings, like, there's several teams in front of them who are closer to being ranked because, you know, their schedule has been tougher. And I'm not knocking Virginia. It's just, like, you've taken care of business, and that's great. But... I actually think that's their attitude right now, too. Which is good. Yeah. We've, we've done what we were supposed to do. We have a lot of work to do is what I tend to hear coming out of that. 
That, and that, that gives me more hope for what those tough games look like for them. Because if if they were sitting here like, why aren't we a top 10 team right now? We're undefeated. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think they, there's that attitude. No, right? that's but what I'm like, saying. Yeah. If they were, then I think that would be a problem. Because then you're... It, it's tough to think that you're already that good because you're, you know, beating uh, William & Mary and UNC Wilmington. Which, like, yes. So you beat UNC Wilmington by 42 points. But it's UNC Wilmington. Like. <laughs> For me, I think the more interesting thing is why has it been so successful so quickly, right? So Tina fans would be forgiven for not paying as close of attention to the Tina Thompson era because it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And now you have Coach Mox show up and just inject energy, some good recruits right out of the gate. How was she able to do that? What it, what it changed so fundamentally? Is it just a personality that happens to be the right personality at the right time? Is it a style of play? Like, what what does she bring for fans who maybe are looking at them for the first time so in several years? Right. If you haven't seen any Coach Mox interview video or anything like that, find one on YouTube. And I think you'll see why. There's something about her that's no nonsense but supportive that uh, and belief, right? There's something about her vibe that is really easy to buy into, and I think we're seeing that with the recruiting. I think we're seeing that with the current team. And we'll see what that means for the future. But she definitely has something about her that is a draw, right? It's kind of like she's tough, but she's also like, I don't know, affable, like likable. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like, I could see why recruits would be interested. And then you got to do the sell job, right? How can we be competitive here? Like, but getting them interested is the first step. The other thing I would say for Virginia fans, if you haven't watched yet, what I... It's a little bit of what men's basketball fans at Virginia have been clamoring for at times. Tony, loosen the reins, play faster on offense, and play that great defense. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Coach Mox wants to do. It's a similar defensive system. Um, it is some sagging man-to-man. It is super dedicated on defensive end, but then they just go. <laughs> so if you're looking for what that might look like, maybe the women's is your, uh, you know, your, your palate compliment mm-hmm. for, for the men's, right? It's like this sort of perfect blend of two great defense either way you get two different styles of, of offense although she does run some uh, block remover as well on the back end of some quick injury play so yeah it's interesting the, this team has some some fun pieces to it that, that make it enjoyable to watch even though I don't get to watch them quite as much as I do the men's team the parts I've seen I really like watching them play yeah it just it, it has seemed especially given Debbie Ryan's importance historically in women's college basketball and how successful UVA women were in the 90s, it just has seemed inexcusable to me that we've been down for so long, right? So, I'd like, there, we have all of the tools and history to be a successful women's program. Maybe we just found the right coach finally, and, you know, that yeah, brings so in much the local of, recruits. Yeah, so much of it is that, right? Finding a coach that can catch lightning in the bottle and then sustain it. I think the sustaining We've, part is always that's the hard, hard part, right? Yeah, because like we've talked about it with with like state men's basketball, and Kevin Keats came in and recruited his ass off from the beginning, and it was like super super exciting, and now it's kind of gone stale. And well, even I, before him too, yeah, there was a and then sort of a well, that was the recruiting violations, but yeah. <laughs> I'm talking on court oh, product. Those, those. <laughs> well, well, that's why the on court product went up because like Dennis Smith came in and stuff because you know. Adidas, but yeah, the the but it is key, right? You, like you get the excitement from 
like there's there's a there's a buzz kind of around that Definitely program for sure. And it's then how do I turn that into more sustained success? And and getting the getting the two recruits, getting Olivia McGee and Kamora Johnson and like I think helps to build on that because now you have a five star and a four star coming in. And if you're some of those complimentary recruits out there and like transfers and things like that, that's appealing to play with, you know? So then you're going to start to see, I think, more and more um, success that you're able to, to sort of build on. The Mir McLean story is a good one right now, too. So UConn recruit left UConn, enrolled here in the middle of the year last year. This is her first full season. Mm-hmm. And she's just doing it. Average, <laughs> averaging a double-double. Right? Like, so she's, they play kind of small, meaning that she's in the front court some because of her skill level. And I think her quickness is... These early opponents, at least, her quickness on the glass is just mm-hmm. killing these teams, right? Yeah. The, the parts I've watched, she's getting off the floor quickly. I don't know, it reminded me of coaching against uh, Sarah Movbio that ended up playing at Virginia as well. I'm not sure if I said her last name right, but she played at St. Anne's, then played at Virginia, then played her graduate year elsewhere. But she was like that. I remember game planning for her. Like, you better put a body on her because her second jump, mm-hmm. so if she shoots it, and you don't box her out, she's going to be off the floor again before you are. Yeah. <laughs> so Mir's second jump, I think, is she's just so quick um, in those tight spaces. So I think she's fun to watch. And it's a fun story just because, you know, kind of a UConn wasn't the right thing, mm-hmm. finding, finding a niche that she seems to like. From the fun of the women's program, I think we should also probably have you talk about the less fun men's uh, football team, which has struggled some with recruiting we're now into the transfer portal elements where some people are leaving including brennan armstrong um cypress is leaving we have you know dontavian wicks declaring for the draft how do you assess uh tony elliott's first year and what you're seeing in terms of the talent that may be coming in it's obviously the the portal is recently open so it's tough to know what we're going to get but how would you assess his overall first year so many things tied into that that, yeah. that lead in right yeah so none of the, go go for many of anywhere you want none of those names you mentioned armstrong cypress wicks are overly surprising to me cypress would be the most surprising wicks i kind of thought might test it last year so i'm not at all surprised that he's leaving after this year armstrong to me was a given and i know that not everyone was in that mindset but i just assumed this was his last year no matter what even though he had the covid year even if it meant going somewhere else for a, a last college year. Mm-hmm. Listen, he's been here since January enrollment of as a high school senior. You don't come to college to stay in the town for almost a decade. Unless <laughs> yeah. you're Kihei Clark. Right? Like, and Kihei, like, right? <laughs> I'm Kihei, just kidding. <laughs> but Kihei's actually here the same amount of time as Brennan. Yeah. Even though he's playing, he is playing his extra year. Brennan redshirted that year. Right. Right, so if it came another year, it would be a whole year longer than Kihei has played. So it's like, okay, I, I just kind of assumed that that those two. That doesn't mean like all the other pieces that you just brought up are on a good trajectory. It is hard to look at recruiting rankings and think that that recruiting ranking group is going to be super successful when they're in their junior year. Mm. Right, it's just hard to project out a bunch of two and three stars all hitting. Right, right. Some of them will hit. There's no question that some of them will hit. I don't think there's any question that they'll develop some of them, right? There are quite a few two stars over time, three stars over time at Virginia who have done that. The question is, how high of a hit rate can you have when so much of your class is that? 
it doesn't give you as much wiggle room. So that immediately points to the portal. Comes from a program that doesn't really like it. I know you guys talked about that on your recent episode. Dabo didn't really do that. Mm -hmm. So maybe Coach Elliott doesn't really want to do that. But I also think he's a very thoughtful, methodical approach to what he does. And I can't imagine he's looking at the roster and forget everything else that's around the program. So I'm just focusing on football for now. Yeah. I can't imagine he's looking at the roster and going, you know, I'm not really into the portal. That would be a um, uncalculated move. And he does everything very calculated. So I can't see him looking at the portal and going, yeah, I'm just not into that. (laughs) So um, I think the number of people that are visiting, you know, the weekend we're recording this, like there's a bunch of people in town in terms of portal targets. So they're definitely exploring it. And then you just have to kind of figure out what, what parts of that you want to do. So how do you evaluate Coach Elliott's first year? To me, if you're looking at it right now, certainly not successful in terms of record, but he stuck to his principles in terms of this is the type of program I want to run, this type of offense I want to run, this type of defense I want to run. Kind of the opposite of what Bronco did, where he kind of adjusted his defense for a long time and didn't really stick to what he thought the long term would be best. He, Coach Elliott has done the opposite with the offense. For now, that looks bad. So I think if you're evaluating it right now today, that did not go well. The offense was bad. There's no arguments about that. It may be a better evaluation in year four, but we don't know until we see Portal. And, you know, is Des Kitchens better with players that are executing better and not dropping passes? Or is it they're going to catch some of those passes and then it's still not going to look good, right? That's certainly possible too, based on Coach Kitchens track record as a co-coordinator previously. I know Virginia fans bring up the Vanderbilt and NC State years. So it's a whole lot of unsatisfying answer. We don't know yet. (laughs) We don't know yet. Year one did not look good. We don't know what that's going to mean long term until we see Portal, until we see year two of system. Is there anything so unsatisfying? To be, I'm sorry. That's is the, the fans well, are going ah. Well, I mean, because <laughs> they want you. To, they, fans want to hear you say like either fire the guy. Either he's going to get fired, or <laughs> not next year you're going to be in the ACC championship game. Well, I mean, th- it's this probably is, going to be somewhere in between. Right, there of course it will be for at least the next year. Yeah, yeah. I think what what for me, what is there to be excited about? Right, the defense improved yeah. dramatically in the last year. I mean, I think. Is that that's probably about the list of things you could feel excited about right now? I mean, obviously, if tomorrow a bunch of former five stars walk in the door through the portal, we'll probably feel a lot differently. But like, what what is there? It can we hang our hats on anything? At yeah, this that's moment? the popular question on the message board right now too. What the heck can I be optimistic about <laughs> with football? Right, and I get it. I get it. Your record-setting quarterback is leaving. Your uh, NFL caliber receiver Wicks is leaving. You've got everything that happened with the tragedy, the defense, some of the the names that made it run, the turnaround run, Cypress, Anthony Johnson, Nick Jackson, presumably, although he has a year left and we haven't heard anything yet. Right. Those, um, those are key pieces, right? So even the part that you think you might be excited about, what's it look like with other faces? What's it look like with other faces? So to me, I would start with defense since we've, have a little bit of a, a local thing going sometimes in our conversation today. Jonas Sanker to me still is one to be optimistic about. I think his ceiling is still really, really high. Um, and I think he had some up and downs this year, but I think he's really good. So I would just start there. I would just pick a player that I'm excited about. And he's one that I am excited about. Some of those young receivers we haven't seen yet. I'm very curious about some of the young, young guys on that side. 
Um, offensive line gained a lot of experience. They really, really <laughs> struggled. Does experience translate to better offensive lines? That's the theory, right? Like offensive linemen need time. They need to play together, mm-hmm. right? Awful lot of eggs in that basket for Virginia right now if they don't add something from the portal to kind of strengthen the depth of that group. And the freshmen they brought in last year, they brought in a huge freshman class. You're going to need a couple of them to hit. Is uh, How high are you on Jay Wolfick as possibly being the answer at quarterback? Because I think that's another question now with Armstrong gone, having been having the offense built around him for so long. What does the next iteration look like? Uh, Tony Elliott said a lot of positive things about him, but we haven't really seen him in action very much. So what is the what is your take on that? So I think first you have to go with the two giant assumptions that I see come up on the message board all the time. Assumption number one, he was recruited for a different offense. He's a quarterback like all the others. He can't run this offense, right? Based on the fact that Brennan couldn't run the offense. I think that's a massive assumption, right? Like maybe Wolfolk can. I don't know. I haven't seen him playing it very much. I saw him part of the very first scrimmage of the fall running the offense and then a little bit, you know, in other practices. We haven't seen him run this offense. Who knows if he can run this offense? I don't have any idea. I do know that he's a pretty even keel athlete. He's pretty determined. Teammates gravitate to him, both baseball and football. So that leadership part vibe matters at quarterback. It really does. And then he seems to be a really smart kid talking to him. So can he take all those pieces without a full spring football and then turn it into, yes, he can run this offense. So that's assumption number one. Assumption number two, he plays baseball this spring, gets a year closer to his MLB draft eligibility. He starts getting the, the, the buzz that he got a little bit of as a freshman. But listen, the kid throws a 90-something mile per hour fastball. Um, you make a lot of money throwing a 90-something mile per hour fastball if you can control it <laughs> um, yeah. as, a, as a long relief or as a closer um, at the professional baseball level. He's going to have that decision to make more than likely. So then that puts it in Tony Elliott's ba- uh, bucket. He's then going to have to make a decision. How are we going to handle spring football while our potential starter is playing baseball? And we know they're at least looking at some quarterbacks in the portal if for no other reason than you need more – Secession planning from Wolfolk, if he is the guy, to the true freshman that were here last year. There's nobody in between. Mm-hmm. So I would expect somebody in between or equal to Wolfolk in eligibility to be uh, in the mix in the portal. I mean, there seems to be an obvious portal fit at quarterback. You're talking about DJ? Yeah. Yeah, I, I see that as less of a fit, but, I mean, it makes sense given, obviously, Tony... Elliot's uh, experience with him and recruiting him, but I see zero chance. Yeah, zero. I think I I could see him going back to the West Coast. The West Coast UCLA. seems like the most likely thing to me for him, but to me it feels like if not, there would at least be some interest in coming back to Tony Elliott. But maybe not. I don't know. I just see zero. Here's why. Forget the 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 connection. They have a relationship that matters in recruiting. Absolutely, relationships mm-hmm. matter maybe more than anything else, but. You have to go rehab your image or your brand to try to get a shot at professional football. That's what his decision-making process is about entering the portal, right? I need to go somewhere where I can show that an NFL team should take a a chance on me, right? Whether that's in the sixth round or the third round or the first round, whatever that rehab brand rehab would look like. I just don't see how you're going to do that with a program that's rebuilding itself. The, the gamble he would be making is I'm going to come in and I'm going to elevate this program and that part of the brand. Look at who saved <laughs> the mm-hmm. man who saved Virginia football, right? Yeah. 
that's an awful big risk to take with your future. So I see zero way. I, I'm, I'm in the 0% category. You know, maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you know, play this tape over and over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if I consider it likely, but I wouldn't put it at 0% personally. But that's based on unfounded speculation, right? Of Which this. is most of what this podcast is about. Sure. That's, that's the thing we're most into. <laughs> sure. But like, you know, it just, it feels like there's a fit there just in terms of, again, the coaching relationship, you know, presumably some schematic things that feel comfortable to him. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's some kind of, they seem to think highly of each other and that, that could mean a lot, but it, it, I guess it depends on how coach Elliot feels. He has to fill that hole. Um, there are lots of quarterback options on the board, like out there. So, I think what concerns Virginia fans is the name we've heard, the quarterback from Monmouth, is the same as all the other names you keep hearing in the portal. Like, doesn't feel like you're fishing in waters of immediate upgrade, and that's yeah. true of the high school recruiting too. It doesn't feel like they're fishing in waters where it's going to be an immediate. We're going to win this this Bass Pro tournament, <laughs> right? We're over here fishing in the the, the old Matt Rule strategy, right? You're, trust the process, give it time. We're over here fishing in the minnow pool, is what yeah. it feels like, and I understand why that can be concerning. There's no reason that shouldn't be concerning from a fan perspective. Yeah, they're not the you know I don't expect coaches to be concerned by that. They should have a plan uh, and a vision. And if anything you can say about Tony Elliott year one is he has a vision of what he thinks this should look like. Mm-hmm. And he may be willing to take short-term lumps, and he definitely did in year one, to get what he thinks year three, four, and five will look like. Here's the problem that fans are projecting onto that. You don't get that long in college football anymore. Sure. Right? So if you have a losing season this year, next year's schedule looks rough, you have a losing season next year, what are you going to be selling? Well, and that's what are you going to be selling to recruits or fans? Right. You take those short-term lumps, and it's not like the NFL where then you get a high draft pick. Right? You have to convince high school kids that a program that's struggling is the place that they want to be. And, and maybe ultimately what it comes down to, I think is, is hitting on some of these three stars, whatever developing. But like you said, when that's your entire recruiting class, that's tough. Like talent matters, right? Like the stars matter. So when you get some of these guys that, that like ultimately I think what it comes down to for him is being able to find some guys who want to go be, the big dog at a rebuilding program and take that. And maybe that's not, you know, that's not DJ coming out of Clemson. Like that's a lot on him where he is in his career, but maybe there is, there's gotta be some recruits out there that are like, yeah, I'll go be an amazing running back or whatever. Maybe hopefully, hopefully for them, a quarterback that um, can change things, but um, it doesn't seem super, I wouldn't be very optimistic personally. Right. So the other side of that fan roller coaster is, and it's knee-jerk, but fans love to go, well, look what Tony Bennett did. Mm. And then the knee-jerk response to that is, this is football, not basketball. You need a lot more players, right? You can turn basketball around with two guys in a way, right? You you added Joe Harris and Akil Mitchell to the Mike Scott kind of mix, and it already started to turn, and then you throw in a Malcolm Brogdon and Anthony Gill, and suddenly, boom, you're gone. Right. So we're talking four names. Forget everybody else that also contributed to that, and they all did. Mike Toby, Nolte, all mm-hmm. those guys. But those four names all went on to pretty good professional careers. Three of them have had successful NBA careers. Akil's the one that's had the overseas career. Like when you have four pros, <laughs> yeah, you can turn around a basketball roster. Four pros is not enough to turn around a football roster. Yeah. You well, need more I, than four pros. So and the the current 
I mean, regardless of whatever you think of the transfer portal, just like it's a reality of the situation of college football. Like you, it is tough when you see somebody like Lincoln Riley go four and eight to almost making the playoff in one year, having the Heisman Trophy winner. But even like take that major example aside, even somebody like Elko at Duke, who was kind of you know Tony Elliott was maybe going to go to Duke, maybe going ends up at Virginia. Like he turned around Duke and turned them into a respectable program in one year. So I think a lot of coaches just don't have like a, you can have a four year, five year plan, but like is Tony Elliott going to get that if so, same same results over year two and three? Right. He's going to get time at Virginia. The question is, and particularly with with everything that happened with the tragedy, I think there's even more mm-hmm. leniency that's probably going to be built in there. I think it's just hard to project. So the reason that fans, and, and I appreciate the, the Bennett comparison, is the sticking to your plan part. That part is definitely comparable. It's going to be harder to pull off on the football side just because of sheer numbers. And that's true of football no matter what kind of angle you're taking at it, right? There's 85 scholarship players, right? right? Like that's a, There's 22 people that start in football, right? 11 on each side of the ball. So that's just harder to turn around. But I can appreciate the, I'm sticking to my principles. We're installing what we want. The Virginia part of that is, well, the culture wasn't broken. They were into Broncos culture, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was kind of a mediocre results culture. Yeah. So Tony Elliott looks at it and goes, they're hardworking. They're good kids. They're good citizens. Bronco did a great job. I just want it to be slightly different in terms of what the football looks like. Yeah. So when he says culture, I think he means football culture, not overall culture. So there's this kind of like ball of wax thing going on when you discuss Virginia football where you're like, What's there to be optimistic about? Like, how is this plan going to work? When you look at the recruiting on paper, like, like, great, you have a vision. How's that going to work, man? And no one can really envision where it's going. And the only man that really knows where he thinks it can go is Tony Elliott. Mm. So he did say at one of those last press conferences, you know, uh, at the end of the season, prior to the season ending prematurely, that all he's ever known is back in a corner, rise to the occasion. We're going to need a whole lot of that. We're going to need a whole lot of that. Your back's in the corner. Your back is in the corner. We're going to need you to rise to the occasion, right? So that's really what, if I'm looking for something to attach to, going back to your original question, that's it. Can Tony Elliott pull this off? All signs don't look great in terms of recruiting numbers and all that. Can you pull it off? That's an interesting story to at least watch, and that's what I would latch on to if I were a fan. I just was looking at some things and saw that (laughs) the Cameron Robinson, your top-rated recruit, has been... Like, even though he's committed, it seems like he is still taking some visits, visited Florida State recently, so... Yeah, it's warm in Tallahassee. Yeah. Not every... He's, not, just taking a, he's just taking a December vacation, yeah, getting out of the, getting sure, out of the sure, cold. Sure. There have been several decommits in the class, Yeah, on top of the everything else, right? But I think also it's hard to... Like, I saw a tweet about this that said, when your rival have... When your rival has 10 people who leave the program... It's a sign of like institutional problems that their coach is a disaster. But when your school does that, it's just oh, this, they weren't a good fit. We're getting, we're bringing in the right people now, right? So hashtag Ken Who fan, <laughs> Ken Who fan on yes, who who I know personally. He's a funny guy, but that's his thing on the the basketball message board. Is like when someone chooses to go elsewhere. Well, they were never a fit anyway. That's good, <laughs> and it's all tongue in cheek. That's good stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm going to derail your podcast. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm the guest. I'm taking over. Yeah, As you ahead. should. We, yeah. we have to talk about this. 
Yeah, go ahead. Robert and I is coming to your beloved uh, NC uh, State Wolfpack. Let's talk yeah. about Robert oh, and I. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> As an outsider who watched it, sure. now what do you think? All right, he's got one thing going for him, and that is his name is not Tembeck. So <laughs> we, we we had gotten to a point where, you know, you just you needed change. Now, here's here's the tough thing is I, if you go back through some of the UVA years, looking at that, I'm, I'm not sure that I would have been super optimistic. What he did at Syracuse this year was very impressive. And I felt... The first six games or the last six games? This is Robert and I right, in a nutshell. No, I actually I mean, like Robert and I. I know. I, the the and and I think that there is a there are inconsistencies there. There are things that I am not thrilled about. I think that Syracuse is not NC State. I think our football programs are in different places right now. Um, I think I would argue our football program is in a different place than UVA was when and I was at UVA. You're on a very consistent run. So so he's coming into a program with talent. He's coming into a program that is in a position to continue to compete at a high level. Um, obviously, this year got derailed by by injuries, but that happens. And I, I think the fit is there. I, you know, right now, it seems that MJ Morris is probably the guy at quarterback. So you have a mobile quarterback uh, with a big arm. and How it, durable is he? I, I mean, he him. did get hurt this year. Um, but it's hard to say. He's a true freshman. So, you know, is there a pattern there? I don't know. But, like, if you, even if that's not true, like, we clearly have multiple quarterbacks. And Ben Fenley, can, you know, is coming back. And or at least right now, that's the plan. And, you know, do they go in the transfer portal? I don't know. But the you have a strong offensive line. You have a talented, uh, you have talented skill position groups. And then it, it, it comes down to the quarterback. And MJ Morris showed an ability to play. I mean, it, very limited time, but you know, I just think back to that that Virginia Tech game that, that we were at. He came into that game and just like changed things. And I know that's not like an elite defense or anything like that, but the team had been struggling, and then he continued to look good after that. As far as Robert and I's relationship to that, it is again. I think the the tone change has to be there. Just there has to be something different and. He has a track record of getting productivity out of a similar kind of personnel grouping, but I think he's going to have more talent to work with. So I'm excited about it. A little skeptical as well, but primarily excited. I think it's interesting. So I, I, I've studied... <laughs> no, it is. I've studied an eye for years, right? Yeah. Because I do all the analytical sure. side of things. Early in career, very run heavy. Later in career, very back, pass heavy. Mm-hmm. My perception of NC State, and I don't watch them much at all, is they are a very run-happy team with some... And, and obviously, Leary has huge numbers, all that sort of stuff. So clearly, the passing game is there. But I, my perception is it's all been built off the run. Mm. Syracuse was all built off the run. Right? Especially quarterback run. I mean, they had right? Tucker as well. But yeah, you know what I'm saying. The, yeah, previous yeah, yeah. to him arriving, that was all Tucker, 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 Tucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they felt more, at least the parts I watched, more pass-heavy. Mm-hmm. How does that blend with what Dorian... And maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he wants it to be more modern. Is, yeah, that, yeah, is yeah. that part of the approach? So I, I I'm think, interested to watch that. I think that's thing. a big part of what Dave Doran wants. Is So the biggest criticism has been of the, of the offense has been where the run could be there to... This year was, was weird because our running back room just was not... 
what it has been in the past. But we have a, a young running back in, in Demi Sumo Kongbe, who I think is going to be very, very good. But you kind of want to, to to run to set with with Leary to set up that downfield throwing game. And and what Tembeck would do is use more of like a short screen game kind of thing to complement the running game, which led to everything just being very like you never you never stretch the defense vertically. I I, so I got mad at an eye a lot because he wouldn't throw the easy receiver screens that everybody throws. Right. So I think the opposite. I think that's why an eye <laughs> ended up being the guy for Doran is I think he shares some of the fan base's concern over an ability to have a vertical passing game. Um, there's been kind of a theme of just like the like with Devin Leary, it was a let Devin cook kind of thing. Like let him just pick apart a defense, and they did some of that two years ago when he had 35 touchdowns and five picks or something like that. MJ Morris seems to have a similar skill set and an ability to just sling the ball. And so I think they're hoping that Robert and I will bring that ability to, to marry that like successful running game, um, including quarterback running game, with then you know play action and downfield passing. And I mean we'll see. Uh, the talent group is there. The wide receivers are there. You know there's a lot of speed on that team and and more coming in. And I, I'm excited about it. To me, it's hard to look at an eye numbers and be nitpicky. But it almost feels like you have to be nitpicky, mm. right? As watching as Virginia fans for the number of years that we watched it. It's like, man, these numbers are great. We're throwing it all over the yard. Like, oh my gosh, we're scoring more points than Virginia has scored in forever, right? Because yeah. one thing I remember writing late in the Mike London years was, hey, here's the secret that everyone needs to know. You need to score more points. <laughs> right. Modern college football, if you don't score, you don't win. It's not a defensive game, right? And he did that. He scored more points. But there was always this nagging kind of nitpicking feeling all the time, like that something was going to get called that made no sense, mm. like a reverse or we won't mention the other play. Yeah, the that's just going to come out of the blue, like that. It's like what? Why there? Yeah. Right. And those nitpicking, nagging things are seem to be what at least fans latch onto with, with Coach and I, both at BYU at Virginia. I think a little bit at Syracuse, we didn't have as much time to to see right. that. Right. NC State fans are noticeably patient and, <laughs> and, and and don't nitpick about anything. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what that marriage is oh, like. the, That's the reason I brought it up. Listen, the first time he calls like a bubble screen on third and eight or something like that. Oh, it won't be that. It'll be a quarterback draw. That's fair. <laughs> I, see, the last couple of years, I would rather have seen that. Maybe not with Leary, but like there's times where... Now, uh, this year, the, the frustrating thing, and, and a lot of this is due to quarterback injuries, but... We leaned too much on quarterback runs, and like it felt like they didn't trust quarterbacks to throw the ball. But now with MJ Morris, you've got an entire off season. I would imagine it's going to look different. Um, the other thing I would point out is I don't know that when's the last time Robert and I coordinated an offense where on a team where the the defense was playing at a very high level. That's an interesting correlation, right? right. Like, why is that? I don't know, but I, I think- would I would say 2017s is that the right year? 2018s Virginia defense. Mm-hmm. So then 2018. I'd be, so the then I'd be curious to see what the offense looked like then, because it was I mean, more conservative. It was much more conservative, yeah, right? Sure. So so because that was Bryce Perkins year one, right? And mm-hmm. so there was also conservative there because he could go do something, right? Why why be risky, right? And the defense was so good that year, and that's what got him to the Belt Bowl win. And that's the only bowl win Virginia has had since. 
oh, let me <laughs> right yeah exactly so Nashville 2005 so I think I think my analogy which maybe is an imperfect one it's like it's a show that you find entertaining but then just doesn't know how did it end like it just doesn't have an end to it you're like watching the show you're kind of making it through you're enjoying most things that you see but then kind of the ending that, is unsatisfying this is a great great analogy it's like it's, it's lost yeah it's it's, it's a lost for the, fans it's a little bit at the end where you're just like okay what did i watch what what, what just happened was that good <laughs> yeah, did yeah. i actually you know did I really enjoy that? I right. think I enjoyed that. And that, and that is, I, maybe we're setting ourselves up for Tembeck 2.0 because that was a lot of the Tembeck experience where you'd have the year that Leary had two years ago and the offense looks so good and you're just like, oh, wow, like we are, we have a very competent offense, but then there'd still be every now and then the plays that you're just like, okay, don't really know what that was. And, and so maybe it'll be more of that. And, and I guess my perspective on it is like looking at some of the options, what would have been better, right? Like, one of the names that got thrown out a ton was Dan Mullen. Um, And it's like, no. No, I don't have opinions on Dan Mullen. uh, Like, I have opinions on Robert. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) So that, like, it'll be interesting, right? right? And and I I think that Dave Doran clearly has a vision. Like, he's been fairly involved with, both sides of the ball in terms of what he wants things to look like. The defense feels set, right? We're going to lose some talent um, this year just because we had a very experienced defense, but there's more talent still there. And and that defense should still be, if not as good as they were, they were great this past year, but they will keep you in games. So then it's how does Robert and I coordinate an offense to take advantage of a defense that's putting his team in a good spot where – and they also, like, you're going to have shorter fields to work with and stuff like that versus, like, at Syracuse or in some of those UVA years where, like, you were playing from behind and, you know, your defense wasn't really getting stops and, and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. I, I don't know. I It's going to be a fun storyline. I just, like... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we will follow it as it but goes. But just because and, fan's going to fan. Yeah. The fan's going to fan thing with an eye at Syracuse and now at NC State has just been fun to watch on the message board because mm-hmm. it grates at certain fans so much. So how, <laughs> right? And it's like, like, oh, man, why does that bum you out so much? Because like, those, first, those first few weeks of this season when the, the Syracuse offense was humming, like... I'm when they sure. were hanging out at home against UMass, I'm those sure. games. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like, but all the national media, if you tuned into the Syracuse game, or just they were talking about Syracuse when Syracuse won those first like six or seven games or whatever, and they were ranked highly, then everybody was talking about how great Robert and I's offense was. And I'm sure UVA fans were... I'm sure they had things to say about that. There were a lot of threads on that, yeah. Because well, Virginia's offense was struggling. Right, yeah. Right. UVA's, I mean, it's easy to want Robert and I back after watching what we did this past year. Except right. those numbers ended up kind of close at the yeah. end of the season. Right. The Syracuse and Virginia numbers offensively ended up kind of close. It's. <laughs> I'm also interested to see what it looks like without Jason Beck, who's been with him for the last few years. And Congratulations now, to Coach Beck, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's very exciting and... Like, I, I'm honestly, I would be more excited if I'm a Syracuse fan than an NC State fan with the hire. Like, I think getting promoted to an OC, I think he will do a really good job there at Syracuse. I'm less sure about an eye at NC He's State. He's got the young, uh, unflappable vibe that some successful offensive coordinators that we've seen over the last decade at various places. Mm-hmm. He does have that to him. And Coach Mendenhall has said that multiple times about Coach Beck. You're in the middle of something super stressful, and he's over there going... 
hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just super calm. That could be a big trait as an offensive coordinator. I'm curious to see what he does at Syracuse. Yeah. Sorry, I derailed your podcast. No, I, no, that's, that's fine. That was good. We knew we were going to talk we about it at some point. We didn't. We didn't have enough NC State material on the podcast. Let's give the fans what they want. We're yeah. trying to get the triangle triad media buy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, Carolina lost their offensive coordinator. Yeah, that's that's actually really that's interesting. a funny. I do want to talk about that maybe maybe next week. But yeah, that it's it's interesting. I I, uh, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of smoke there. So hmm. the fire is starting under Mac Brown, but it's fine. But he's going to douse it with his heavy jacket, his puffy jacket that he can just throw on the flames. <laughs> He'll be fine. Okay, so kind of getting you out since you have family obligations, uh, we do want to bring back a segment that we did in our first episode, which is dudes to remember, not to be confused with remember some guys. <laughs> so uh, dudes to remember, All dudes right. to remember. So this segment for those uninitiated is that we're gonna each have a dude that we remember that was somebody that was memorable to us, and it can be we can define that any any way that we want to. All right, we'll we'll let you go first since you you're the guest. Well, you told me like the only thing you told me about today's podcast. Everything else was hey here. Here's some questions. Yeah. And if you listen on Best Seat in the House with, with Luke Near or anything where I do these talks, almost all of it is unscripted, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, just ask me whatever, um, and we'll see where it goes. Right, so dudes dudes to remember, all right? ACC guy, is that a requirement? Sure. Can right. be. I, I assumed it was a requirement. Sure. So ACC guy started 112 games in his career. All right, average 14 and a half points, four and a half assist. Okay. He was not super tall, so he was like pre evolutionary Kihei. So, this is why I picked this particular player. Interesting. Finished at his school as the second in career scoring, over 1,800 points, second in three point field goals, more than 253s, third in assist, over 575 assists, fourth in steals. He's a Hall of Famer at his school. Uh, was inducted into their Hall of Fame in 2007. A lo- uh, so he- here's the, the clue that might help you. A local park here in Charlottesville shares his name. See, I went obscure enough to at least stump the schwa. Uh, what was that? Stump the, stump the schwa. Stump, stump the schwa. The schwa. <laughs> Interesting. My friend Mike Mountjoy would get it. Mm. You could pick any player, give him some random stuff, and he'll go, oh, he played at this school in 1994. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually very upset by this I have, that I don't have. I think I have a guess. He went back and joined his team's coaching staff eventually. Wait, I don't think that did not to my guess. Did not play in the NBA. Played overseas. Um, hold on. I think three so, times all ACC. Wait, so you didn't say when he played? Do you when, want that? All right, yeah, ninety-five when, through ninety-nine. Got him. Three-time all ACC guard Terrell McIntyre. <laughs> there you yeah, go, there. Terrell McIntyre. Okay. Dudes to remember. That's good. That was a good one. I was a little because he's short like Kihei. I thought it was yeah, yeah. yeah. I was a little thrown off because I didn't remember the coaching. Uh, that one threw me, and I was trying to think. That's a good one. So and and so here's my Terrell McIntyre story. I told you earlier. I used to be on the front row with the marker boards yeah. or whatever. He's one of the few players to actually react. Most of them just try to ignore you. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly what he did, but he 
he either said something or looked at us and winked or something like that while we're just riding him during the game. And so he's a dude I remember because of that. Because he, the only other guy that really sort of reacted was pregame warmups from that Elton Brand Duke team. Uh-huh. Mm. Virginia wasn't very good there in that stand. And we're like, this is the night. You're going down. The upset's coming here in New Hall. Right? And we're yelling at Elton Brand looked at us and went, yeah, right. <laughs> and then he proceeded to back it up. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, dudes to remember. That's good. I'll, I'll go. I got a guy. Okay. All right. My guy, uh, ACC, not NC State. I'll just go ahead and get that out. Okay. Started 90 games over his career. Do you want years? Is that helpful? Let's we'll, we'll, save we'll, it. We'll, I can save it. Let's save that as uh, the, the hint. Tick. He is uh, physically opposite from Terrell McIntyre. This is a big, very large guy. Um, he was international. He was not from America. In his career, for for his career, uh, averaged about seven and a half points, five and a half rebounds, less than one assist. Um, My guess is Dino from Wake Forest. I was going to say what Darius Sungaila. These are these are good guesses. We're, not, we're on the right track. So um, he was four year player. Had uh, a couple. Uh, he had a stint in the NBA. Played for the Bulls and the Blazers one year apiece, and then went and played overseas in his native country, um, where he has won a championship. Had a pretty solid uh, tournament run um, with his team, uh, helping his team mm-hmm. to a Final Four. Okay, I think I have it. Okay, what you got? Is it Al Farouk Aminu? It's not. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. You go a little bit further back. Okay. Um, so, he, and he did, while he did play two years in the NBA, he was undrafted. So, that kind of rules out. Okay, like yeah. That. Yeah. I got stuck on the Bulls part. Go ahead. I'll go ahead and give you years. Um, he played for his school from 2001 to 2005. I can give you other information if there's things that you... <laughs> Insert Jeopardy music. Do you want, do you want <laughs> native country? That would probably get it, right? I, I don't know what you know about this person. Um, known has, at least in my opinion, uh, has notable hair. Actually, I think looking back at more pictures, in everyone's opinion, probably has notable hair. Yeah, I'm lost. Yeah, I don't know. It's from Australia. Seven foot one. Oh, it's it's the Georgia Tech guy. What was his name? Luke. Uh, yes. He he was the big bird. He was on. Yeah, um, yeah. He would played in that national championship game team against UConn, the Georgia Tech team, the Paul Hewitt team. What was his name? Luke. Tell me if you want me to give it to you. Go ahead, Luke Shenshire. Shen. Oh, no, I would never have gotten there. Man, I, I think about him a decent amount. I kind of like. I do too. I don't know why, but this guy, <laughs> he there, he just sticks out in my head. Probably he was kind of like physically awkward. But also just like, I mean, the fact that he looked like this, like, yes. I, I just like the big ginger, I, there's just something about him. He was so much fun to watch and like, wasn't particularly good. Like he was, he was fine. He played in the NBA. He must be all right. 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 <laughs> he was like he, one of their leading scores for that team that made the championship. Yeah. Game, well, and that's so. the, yeah. Like in the final four, he had 19 and 12 against Oklahoma state. And in the championship game, he had nine points, 11 rebounds. Wait, he put up a double, double in the final four. And you said he was meh. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I just mean like in terms of guys that stick out, like you, you went Alfaru Aminu. Like right, right, that's right. like, he's, he wasn't he somebody that like there. you looked at and, where like like he never made an all ACC team. He never none of that, right? And and has had 
But he's had an extremely successful international career uh, in Australia, where he won a championship with the Perth Wildcats. But he looks like a One Tree Hill character. Like, <laughs> so, anyway, that's my guy. That's my dude. Luke Shencher. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Love, love Soon him. signing an, an IL deal with the reboot of One Tree Hill. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, my guy was born in Augusta, Georgia, but played basketball in Virginia in his high school days. Another ACC player, perhaps a little bit more well-known in terms of his accolades in college uh, and initially in the pros. He played um, in the NBA for three seasons before having a very extensive overseas career that lasted for almost a decade after that. He was a second-team All-ACC player and a third-team Parade All-American, which I don't even know what that is, but I guess Parade Magazine was <laughs> yeah, the... Yeah, they used to name, yeah. Okay, so he did that. He averaged almost 15 points a game and five assists in his sophomore year for a very, very successful uh, ACC team. He, this may be, this may give it away, but he was one of the first players to leave his school before graduating, which was a surprise at the time. I was going to say Jarrett Jack, Mm. but I know that's not right. No. Just because you have Georgia in my mind. I know, that's, I went uh, Derek Favors in my mind with... he played for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. He ended his career in 2012. Uh, hold on, hold on. I, I might be... Nope, nope. That's not right at all. He was a first-round NBA draft pick. Uh, he was picked in... He played fourth. just for the Timberwolves? That's the only NBA team that he played for, yes. He was the 14th that's overall pick. Not Steve Blake. Of no, of uh, the 1999 NBA draft. Played point guard. Oh, wait, 1999. He wore the number five. Stephon Marbury? No. Because he played for more teams. What? Steve Francis? I think, the, I think the, the clue about being one of the first players under the coach to leave before graduating is the, is the highlighted, highlighted right. red blinking light for you. I'm trying to think of one of the early Duke guys that left. McGinnis. Yeah. Corey McGinnis. No, you're close. Oh. No, it's... Um, oh, my God. Wait. No. It's that same team. 99. Mm-hmm. This is tough. That was the Trajan Langdon group. Uh-huh. Played with Elton Brand, Corey McGetty. He was the one of the other third people there that everybody was very excited about his potential NBA career. Oh, my God. I can years. see him. Yeah. Yep. William Avery. William Avery. There you go. I couldn't get the name in my head. I just... But once you said left, one of the guys that left early 99, Maggetti is where my brain went. Yeah. That's exactly where I went, and then I couldn't recover from that. Was he Oak Hill? Yes, that's right. That's what got me. I was thinking, like, Steve Blake was Oak Hill. Like, William Avery. Wow. Those are three pretty good random pulls from the... Mm -hmm. 
95 through 2005 ACC. Yeah, yeah. We, we really, we really <laughs> drilled down into an era <laughs> well, with, that's this, like, with this exercise. That era, I try to like push myself because really the like, yeah, the 2000s, if I'm doing like NC State guys, I always go to like some of those 2000s teams. Like the other guy I had in my brain was uh, Brandon Costner. Ooh. Because that guy was a bucket. He really was. But then I remember that the first dude I did was Dennis Horner, and so the, that's like same era. Maybe the same person. Don't, don't, do, do not disrespect Brandon Costner. Like that. <laughs> Brandon Costner averaged like 17 points a game. I'm looking forward to the McCullough gets his own rebound, puts it back in. Oh, Ben McCauley? No, what was the guy? Um, At State? Todd. Todd, Todd McCullough. Todd McCullough. Yeah. I think is, that's who I always think of as get my good, own offensive rebound and score guy. That's a good one. Yeah, there's some great. I got some good State dudes lined up in my head for future stuff, but I wanted to. I was thinking about Luke Shenstra the other day. I was watching some basketball game, and there was some tall guy who was just tall. I imagine you just like staring out the window, like raindrops. What's you just Luke going doing? down? Yeah, the windowsill. But that was in that era where, like, I went through a small period where I don't know if it was rebellion or what, but I decided I was going to pull for Georgia Tech, and uh, it was the only part of my life where I wasn't a, like a rabid NC State fan. And face shield Georgia Tech or. Earlier years. No, no, he's not a no, no, no. <laughs> Josh Passner would never get my fandom. Or Paul Hewitt. He kind of, like, that's the most successful team that they've had. And then he was chased out pretty quickly after that. And George that, Mason? Is yeah, that? Mason and wasn't successful there either. This is a, there was a kid that... Um, Shooting star, Paul Hewitt. <laughs> <laughs> There's a kid that I... Uh, worked with who his dad was the first head coach I ever worked for who was committed to George Mason to play for Paul Hewitt but then they made some change or something I don't remember but he ended up doing a prep year and ended up being the starting point guard at Ohio State for three years so I say it worked out for him yeah no shout out to CJ checks and he's playing somewhere now well we know you have to go so uh, I'm gonna get you out of here on this question which was posted on the board by Aliyup Who which is a really cool uh, name by the way Question is for you specifically, and this person wants to know when do you sleep? Based on your, I assume based <laughs> on your <laughs> uh, many posts late at night. I also uh, have that question. Sleep is uh, fleeting. <laughs> so I'm the alley part of the alley oop, right? I don't do the oop part. I do the alley part. Yeah. Um, I sleep when. The windows are available, right? So at this time of year, not a lot because between coaching and and working and now owning, um, yeah, you fit things into pockets where they fit. But honestly, TV is what really kills this with 9.30 tip-offs in Ann Arbor. No, I don't sleep on those nights very much because game's over at 11.30. Thank you for Virginia for your neat and tidy two-hour time windows, <laughs> unlike other teams. I do love that. Um, you know, when... Your game is starting on ESPN News. Never after a Virginia game. Yeah. Your game is starting yeah. where it's supposed to. Anyway, nine thirty, you're out. Eleven thirty, but then you got post game interviews. That's like eleven fifty. By the time they, you know, you get the, and then you got to do site updates, write a game recap, right? So it's one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, and I go ahead and put the recap up while I'm away. So I love. It. So it's there in the morning when everyone else is waking up. Right. And then I sleep until the kids wake up, <laughs> which is not a real long time. It's five a.m. <laughs> which is not a real long time between those two. It's just like a nap. Well, good. There you go. That your question has been answered, Aliupu. Um, and I do it without coffee. Yeah, that that's where we diverge. Is there any caffeine at all in your life, or not really? I drink tea, but I usually 
usually buy the decaffeinated tea that, that you boil over. Wow. Well, cool. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, everyone, preferred walk-on. Everyone should uh, go to the Sabre and also uh, subscribe to it. It's the perfect Christmas gift this holiday season. You can give the gift of a subscription. And click the little follow button on the podcast, too. We're yeah, trying to grow like, your podcast, too. That's part of the goal here. That's right. Definitely do that. Uh, subscribe and like our podcasts and any of the places that podcasts are distributed. And we'll see you next week. That's not how podcasts work. We won't see them. <sighs> Same bat time. There is no channel. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs>